Hello, Feature Tribe, and welcome to this episode of the podcast or the video if you're watching us on YouTube. Uh, links to the YouTube channel down below. And we've also got a Future Tribe Clips YouTube channel that you can check out in the links down below. Uh, that's a bit of a breakdown so you can watch short videos, nice and condensed of the different things that we talk about every episode. Speaking of episodes, this week's episode, we've got about 10 different things to talk about, starting with an update on the .au domain name, Volvo refreshes their logo, WooCommerce celebrating 10 years, and the ABC America logo getting a refresh. And we've got Kelsey with the rest of the items. Yes. Uh, so we'll also be talking about CNN leaving Facebook in Australia. Um, Absolute Vodka has had a refresh of their bottles and branding. Um, a couple of, well, one Google update, I should say. Um, NAB and TAB's jab campaign, which has been circulating in Australia. And Logo Design Theory's YouTube channel. That's a YouTube channel that I just put in there because um, I've been checking it out and it's really quite good for anyone uh, looking at designing their own logos. Um, anyway, I'm Jermaine and we've also got Kelsey. Uh, let's hey. roll the intro. All right, all right. So the .au domain name update, I mentioned this to you yesterday, Kelsey. Um, I attended a webinar that went for uh, an hour on the domain name, which seems like a bit excessive considering that we're still six months away from the release of that domain name. Um, for those of you who didn't watch the previous episode, I think it was two episodes ago that we spoke about .au, which they're calling .au direct. Um, there were some interesting things that came out of it, but the main thing is that, one, it's uh, going to be launched on the 24th of March next year. So we're looking at just under six months, if my maths is correct. And interestingly, this is something that I didn't um, realize, and I think it'll be interesting to see how they actually monitor this. But anyone, I mean, technically, I think it's anyone who resides in Australia can register .au domain. Um, which is different to the .com.au, .org.au, et cetera, because those domains actually have eligibility criteria. That means that every time you register a .com.au, for example, you need to give in an ABN and they need to check that and confirm that you, you have an ABN in Australia and then they'll give you your .com.au domain, whereas .org.au requires you to actually be a um, ACNC registered not-for-profit. Um, or, or the, there's a few things around it, but you've essentially got to be a, a legitimate business. Um, and I didn't realize that .au Direct's going to be so much more open. Um, mm -hmm. Have you ever tried to record a domain name yourself and had issues? Uh, no, not myself. Um, but, I mean, I guess this will make it a lot easier if somebody like me did want to go and register a domain because I don't have to go through all the loopholes of .com.au, not loopholes, uh, jump through hoops. That's the one I'm looking for um, to <laughs> yeah, go through hoops, yeah. <laughs> to get, you know, .com.au. So might open up a lot for smaller businesses um, 
individuals, that kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. I think the goal there is that if, if you're a startup, um, if you're, uh, they, they spoke a lot about people who sell on platforms like Facebook Marketplace, um, who want to register a domain or have their own website and take that jump over, but haven't been able to because they don't want to go through the expenses of say getting an ABN because you don't necessarily need an ABN to trade in Australia. So this opens up the potential for them to uh, create websites. And they've also spoken about companies who want to set up sort of temporary landing pages or do temporary marketing campaigns could use a .au. Initial signals um, suggest that .au direct is going to cost about $9 a year. So quite affordable compared to, yeah, yeah, really is quite cheap. And I think that is potentially because they just need to verify probably a residential address um, and that's it versus needing to do like an ABN lookup and and confirm the details there. Um, So opens up a few different possibilities moving forward. And I think... I'm still very excited for it. Uh, There's still the stuff around, you know, priority periods. So if you've got a .com.au or .net.au or .org.au, you can still, um, you get that preferential treatment for the first six months. So there's there's nothing changing there. Um, Another interesting thing I found actually was that uh, the AUDA, who manages the .au domains in Australia, um, mentioned that they saw... Uh, from memory, it was about a 5% increase in uh, domain names being registered uh, during the um, COVID sort of pandemic period, um, which, yeah, is being studied by um, uh, economists because that that's obviously an expense that businesses have borne um, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a period where some businesses have struggled. So uh, they've mm-hmm. sort of brought that up as an interesting point because you would assume that, you know, a majority of these businesses, I would assume, uh, actually registered a domain and probably paid a third party to build a website for them. So, uh, yeah, I think I, I found that really interesting. Um, but Yeah, it's not super surprising though because obviously with the pandemic, all of a sudden you've got all these lockdowns, people can't come into shops and I imagine a lot of those businesses did rely on that foot traffic and they had to do something they had to put cost into something to keep the business going and if that was a website and a domain that makes yeah, a lot of sense it, and in the big scheme of things not that expensive i think definitely and it was probably one of the few uh places where they could actually spend money as an investment into the business because with everything shut down um what else would you be spending your money on um exactly Another interesting thing that they pointed out was that there are about three and a half million, I think it was actually 3.3 or 3.4 million uh, domain names registered in the .au sort of space. So that's a pretty decent number that's above 10% of the population if we were to attribute a domain name per per individual. And Mm -hmm. that's forgetting, you know, the .coms and the .cos of this world where people have registered or trade under um a domain name extension that isn't in australia so i thought that was um quite a good webinar they're going to keep releasing more information moving forward and uh for our customers 
at Future Theory. We'll keep you in the loop as well as more news comes through um, on that. And we'll be helping customers register their domain names as well. Um, we've got six months, you know, from, from the 24th of March. So there's no mad rush there, um, but we'll be we'll be providing more information as as more information comes afoot. The next one is the Volvo logo refresh. Um, let me share this with everyone watching uh, so that you can see what we're talking about. Um, I I think. Um, this is a misstep. I think this is this is backwards. Um, I actually didn't realize how weird the Volvo logo was until I looked at it in isolation like this. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not the demographic for Volvo. I think they've been trying to be become more hip, more young, more sporty, but uh, they 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 still got that sort of you know older architect or sort of quote unquote soccer mom sort of vibe to them. Uh, but what what's your experience been with Volvo, Kelsey? Uh, I think I just have this idea that it's kind of an old people brand. Um, I'm not really sure what they're trying to do with this refresh. It kind of just looks like clip art to me, which again is like an old person thing. So I'm not sure if that's really helping. Um, yeah, I don't really know what to think about it, to be honest. Well, it's they've done something that we, we're seeing, I feel like every single mention, and later on this episode, we're going to talk about ABC America's refresh as well. Um, every single recent refresh has been taking a 3D logo and flattening it. Uh, mm -hmm. VW's done it, BMW's done it. Um, so it's not, it's not a weird thing for them to do. I just think the end result comes out very weird that that, that arrow on the top right is just weird. It's the only way I can describe it. Yeah. And the um, the word mark, because they haven't really changed the word mark in terms of the font, and that and lining up with the thickness of the circle, it doesn't sit right with me for some reason. Like it just doesn't look like they were intended to be joined like that. It's quite mis mismatched as well because it's yeah. a – a serif with a very minimal uh, graphic around it. I also wonder what they would do on social media because this would not scale that well unless they just get rid of the uh, Volvo wording in the middle. Yeah, I'm not sure on that. I think, I mean, there's a lot of brands I think that struggle with the social media scaling, but maybe that's, you know, not their priority in that sense Biggest like problem. probably not <laughs> too concerned with their social media sort of stuff i think they would be putting their marketing elsewhere elsewhere um i think the only thing worse than the uh logo refresh is the application on these cars this is a concept car application of the volvo logo um and this is the the mark on one of their more recent vehicles i like can... they've got three different versions Oh, and it looks like a pimple. Like, that's... <laughs> yeah. I mean, that one there looks more like the old logo. Um, the one that we've got on screen at the moment, I feel like the arrow is in a different position to where it is in the you are main correct. logo we were looking at. 
Yes, uh, it is sort of further closer down to the word mark. And they've got that extra element of like the stripe that goes through. And I can see they're trying to do a, a 3D effect, I guess, on the edge of the stripe. But I just don't know why. And I don't know why they're introducing all these other elements rather than sticking to that brand. I think, and I don't I don't, don't know for sure whether Volvo is necessarily struggling, but this might even be the sign of a company trying to find sort of the next step, um, the next wave. They, I think, have a very nice, a very clear image of being safe. And that's why that old person sort of brand um, um, comes to mind because they, they characterize what older, more responsible individuals would be looking for from their vehicles. And, you know, if, if you want to prioritize safety as a number one, um, Volvo, I think, has, has that brand image. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know what they're trying to do. And then, then you've got the Volvo Group logo, which is just the Volvo text. But I think it's actually spread out. Is it? It's wi- yeah. spaced wider. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm really confused by all, like there's just three or four different styles I feel like I'm looking at. It's kind of like they've got the concepts that they were working on and just going, all right, let's just make this the brand throw them all out there and hope for the best. Yeah, let's just make all of them um, the the various representations of the brand. The only thing consistent through here, I think, is the actual Volvo wording, mm-hmm. um, despite the spacing slightly changing. So maybe in amongst all this, that's actually the, the one thing that stays constant and, and the only other thing to um, that they want us to take out of it is that there's an arrow pointing to the top right maybe i don't know this is i uh, guess yeah. a message to everyone listening that you can really overcomplicate things i think and if you just come up with one maybe two very vari- variations stick with those uh you would end up confusing people way less uh than volvo has managed to do in this in this example um Jumping from Volvo to WooCommerce, um, you've heard of WooCommerce before. Yeah, um, I think it's through WordPress a lot of people use it. 100%. Yeah. So Woo- WooCommerce is um, huge in the e-commerce um, WordPress sort of space. They're celebrating 10 years since they first launched um, their first iteration of the plugin. So that's quite a long time to be in market especially with so much competition around uh, they've been down the, the, the plugin itself, WooCommerce has been downloaded uh, half a million times. So that's a long way of saying 500,000 times. So mm-hmm. it's um, actually, no, hold on. I'm completely wrong. No, I'm way off. It was, it's been, it's been downloaded 5 million times as of 2014. Okay. That makes it more was, sense half a million times after 16 months um, um, in the wild, so after 16 months of being launched. So I was um, thinking like only half a, let's say half a million customers or downloads or whatever seems like not a lot across 10 years. It's really quite small. I was thinking half a million as active installs, but even then that wouldn't be 
still not that much. big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was acquired by Automatic, the guys behind WordPress.com, uh, the guys who own WordPress.com. I think we um, talked about them a couple episodes ago. We had a talk we about have, Automatic. We would have. Um, they do come up. They have to come up. I mean, they are, to an extent, they are WordPress. Um, Automatic's yeah. owned by the founder of WordPress itself. So, um it was, yes, it was acquired in 2015, and I don't think they've released install-based numbers since then, um, but I think they generally say that they're, they're running on more than 5 million websites, which is quite a solid number. I think in, in, the, in the world out there, WooCommerce still has a stronghold on the uh, e-commerce space, um, but I just thought I'd mention the fact that they're celebrating 10, 10 years of uh, being a product uh, just because they're quite a significant plugin and we're fans of WordPress, we use WordPress. So a bit of a shout out there. The um, Jumping to the next one, another logo refresh. Uh, and this is what I mentioned earlier in t when we were talking about the Volvo refresh and that is the ABC uh, America not to be confused with ABC Australia, which are completely different entities despite the same name. Um, they've done something very simple. Again, you know, gone from a 3D look to a, a completely flat look. I've seen people comment that, you know, the ABC logo is a masterpiece, but I don't necessarily agree. But what, what, what do you think, Kelsey? Uh, I mean, it's simple. There's like four circles. That's quite consistent. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they have really simplified it and given the ABC word or letters some more space, um, slightly more consistency in the spacing of the C as well between the sort of edges of it. I like it. Um, it's not offensive. It's nice and simple. They haven't sort of gone away from their roots of that classic design of just clean and simple ABC. Yeah, yeah, I think my issue with people saying that it's a masterpiece is that it was created at a time where there really weren't many other logos out there. Um, in this day and age, I think we talk about it as a cop-out if you put anything within a circle or a square, like that's just the easiest way to come up with a logo that works, that is balanced because... You just put it within a shape and whatever you put within a shape like a circle, it becomes fantastic and easy to use because it's it's a circle. You can put circles anywhere and they don't um, feel misplaced or mis misfitted. Um, but then looking through and what, what, what else they've done with the application of the logo, um, I think that's where it truly shines. They've really modernized a brand that has existed for so long in a way that feels modern, feels dynamic and potentially even refreshing. Like circles are hard to do differently these days. And I feel like this animation we're showing on the screen, for example, um, is quite unique. Mm -hmm. I really like it. I think it would be really effective, obviously, as well on TV where ABC operates. Um, and as you said, like it can be a bit of a cop out with having the circle. But because they're such an established company, they can continue to use their circle without it being a cop-out. And they've managed to, as you said, refresh it in a modern way. Um, well, they've got the really history. really like all these animations. Anyway, yeah. 
um, yeah, this is this is wonderful. Like a, a very obvious filled in circle for um, when they're sort of co-branding with one of the shows and one of the programs, and then mm-hmm. making making it um, see through with just the circle outline um, for probably for when it's on screen um, mid show, so that it's not sort of getting in the way too much, but it's still quite nice. And um, by the way, I apologize if my dog's barking is coming through. She is going crazy. She's been going crazy for the last few days. So um, we are still working from home. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to go back to the office just just because Kalu is getting a bit bit crazy these days. So I do apologize <laughs> for that. <laughs> um, and looking through again, you know, wonderful use of circles. I think uh, I I think it's quite unique, and I, I'm I'm surprised that they've been able to you know do circles in a different way yeah i like the way um for those that are looking at the screen at the moment the way they've got that spotlight it's just it's very creative it's it just really they can use the circle to put a highlight on what they need to whether it is the logo or take away the spotlight by making it transparent however it is i think they're just using it really effectively this one's an interesting application i think though um where they've it looks fine, but I wonder how you would define this as a rule because they've sort of just plopped the ABC <laughs> yeah. logo. Yeah, a bit of an overlap on an E and not on the rest yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. Like I've, I don't know how you would define that, but um, then again, they're, they're, they're not a small business, so they're not, re- they're not necessarily relying on the most efficient way to apply things. They'd, they'd have five sets of eyes look through something before it goes out, um, if not more. So they can probably afford to do things that are less traditional, less less rigid because they have the talent to then, you know, go through it all and make sure that it all works. Because even, even this application here, um, which is supposedly a record sleeve, um, which yeah, I'm not I'm not sure about some of these applications. Let's put it that way. Mm, I feel like those are quite niche applications, though. On the whole, where they're using the logo sort of on screen or on their billboards, things like that. I think that it seems pretty good. It's just those weird situations of merchandise that they seem to be trying to do something funky with. Yeah, I wonder if it's even merchandise these days, like who's selling records with their own logo on it. But it might just be one of those cases of trying to find examples that don't give away, you know, upcoming products or don't give away anything that still let you display and showcase your new logo um, in style um, and, and in a unique application. Um, I yeah, we're going through mock-ups and going through examples of new logo refreshes and new logo launches, I think... I've seen my fair share of really weird applications and um, ABC just couldn't resist uh, having <laughs> having their own variation of, of that. Um, next one is CNN leaving Facebook in Australia. Have you heard about this? Uh, no, not too much if you want to walk me through it. So I'm going to try and find the actual court case uh, that, that led to this, um, but it was... Here we go. It was the Dylan Voller who um, took to took a case to court um, that 
essentially made uh, the courts decide whether media organizations should be liable for comments left on their Facebook pages. Um, this all happened back in 2016 after a TV expose on the mistreatment of minors in the criminal detention system showed a photo of uh, Dylan Voller hooded and strapped to a chair when he was only 17. Um, that photo was used for their, for their articles of various media outlets posted on Facebook, et cetera, um, and then commenters falsely accused the the victim in this photo or the, the subject of this photo of serious crimes such as um, raping an elderly woman, which is huge, obviously, you know, not, not the kind of thing that you just want to be throwing around. Um, but what, what essentially happened out of that was that it was taken to court, he took it to court and saying that these media organizations are responsible for um, defamation uh, amongst a bunch of things. And courts, the courts agreed with him that these platforms um, are responsible for the comments that are then placed. So the, the outlets are responsible for the comments placed on these platforms and the platforms aren't responsible for the comments. It's a, it's a can of worms, I think, because it then comes down to, okay, who's responsible for um, this thing? Who's enabling what? Where do you draw the line? So on and so forth. Um, because I think, you know, you get the, uh, there's a bit of an old school reference, but, you know, phone numbers written in toilet stalls. Are we then making the, the people who constructed the toilet responsible for the phone number being handed out, you know? I know it's a very, like, arguably a very different example, but it's, I guess what I'm trying to bring up is who's the enabler in this instance, who then becomes responsible, because is it the company that manufactured the permanent marker in that example? Is it Facebook mm. in this example? I think social media, it's a very difficult thing to compare to other life situations because it's a very unique environment. And I think when it comes to figuring out who's responsible for some of these things. I personally really, like, I agree with this court case and sort of the outcome of it in that if you're a media organisation and you're putting a story out that could be, you know, the subject matter could sort of be a bit, um, what's the word, polarising or, you know, people are going to have opinions on whatever the subject matter not, is. Not black or white. It's going to be yeah. grey at um, best in a lot of instances. Exactly. And, of course, you've got, got the comment system there where people are going to be saying their piece. And I think it really is on the media organisations to sort of monitor what's going on and the story that they've put out there and the content that they've brought up as an issue or as a subject to sort of say, you know, this comment's not okay, this is racist or derogatory or whatever it is and be in control of that because I think something like Facebook, that's, I just don't know it's their responsibility. They're providing the platform, but when it comes to the media organisations, they're the ones saying, hey, here's a story to think about and discuss and whatever, but, you know, we're not going to have responsibility of what you say about it from that point. That just well, doesn't quite line up with me. Two questions there, though. One, what happens when it's not so black and white? Like when it when the comment is more like, defamation or calling someone say ugly like who, who do you decide like who's to decide okay you know where you cannot say this in the comments and then at what point does a comment section then become just more or less pointless because no one can provide their opinion so that that's one one sort of i guess 
uh, retort to that. And then the other is, shouldn't Facebook just let you not allow comments? Like YouTube does that. YouTube lets you upload a video and disable comments. Um, yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to like not having an opinion, I don't think that's the case. It's more a case of don't be racist or harmful, essentially. So you can still have an opinion. You can still say your things, but if it is harming other people, that's where the media organisations need to step in. And like all of the media organisations forever have had codes of ethics that they need to operate by and they'll understand that pretty well. And I think it's, you know, there is sometimes when there is like the grey area where it can be a bit difficult to distinguish between, um, you know, real ethical issues or sort of, yeah, it can be it can be a grey area. Sometimes I get that. But I think on in most cases, the media organisation should be able to identify that's not just an opinion at this point. Like that's a harmful comment. We need to sort this out. It doesn't that, that see that'll require a lot more staff though, because I would assume per like big news article, it would probably take five times the effort to monitor the comments on that news article than it took to push that news article out there. I think you could have one journalist and an editor look through it and then push it out to the public. Maybe a photographer, three people, but reading then through say a thousand comments and deciding which one, what's what, um, I, I think it's just easier to dis allow someone to disable comments, allow a media organization. YouTube does it. it. It annoys me because there are instances where I see relevant or current information being pushed out. And I just want to go see what the general feeling around that topic is. And it's it, comments are disabled for, for better or worse. Um, I think ABC in Australia, we, we were just talking about ABC US, but ABC in Australia, which is a government uh, media organization or gov government funded uh, media public funded media organization um, disables comments on on a lot of their um, med media and their news articles i just feel like that's the easiest way because otherwise you go down the road of media organizations that lean one way or the other just deleting comments and then you know okay if your get comment gets deleted do you then get the opportunity to go back and question why it was deleted and just creates this, you know, trap of conversations around stuff. And then I would argue for most people, it's just easier not to have a comment section. Yeah. I mean, I think in this kind of situation, when it comes to involving the law and things like that, it's more an issue of if you've got an article and every comment or like a large group of comments are problematic. I think it's more about like the general sentiment. I think, you know, if you've got one comment from one person that comes through, I don't believe you can be responsible for that as a media organisation. But when it's like a very like widely... It's clearly going in yeah. one direction and it's, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's I, sort of, it makes me think of the um, Taylor Harris um, photo. So the AFL women's footballer who had that photograph of her kicking this incredible footy um, you know, leg up in the air. It was amazing. I think it was Seven News that posted the photo and comments that came through were just vile and sexist and then they got to the point where they just deleted the photo and then had to put out another post where I think they sort of apologised for what those people were saying and really condemned that general sentiment that had come through. Um, you know, obviously if it was just one or two commenters that came through and said some bad stuff, wouldn't have been as big of an issue, but because it was 
so significant, that's when they had to step in. And I think it's more situations like that where there's more, not so much overwhelming, but more significant of a group of people who are commenting these horrible things that they need to be held accountable versus just like one or two people because you can't control those one or two people. Yeah, yeah. I, I do wonder, like CNN's quite a big media organisation, but I wonder if they even ran the numbers and sort of said, okay, so we we need to monitor our presence in Australia, um, but does that actually make a business case for them? Does it make business sense? It probably doesn't because I don't think CNN's big, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, CNN's huge, so they might be getting a significant amount of revenue from Australia, but I'd be very surprised if that is the case. And so yeah. they just looked at it and sort of said, because media organisations these days have presence in every city every country because it's i mean you can just run the same operation out of out of your u.s headquarters and have all these specific pages around and have a have one person working within that country and yet have a greatly um i guess well much much bigger presence um within that nation despite not having the actual physical presence in that nation um and maybe this is maybe that's that's a good thing that organizations that don't actually have a presence in a, a nation's market um don't then get to manipulate well i th i think you know media is media manipulates um or at the very least you know has a certain bias and pushes out information with that bias um maybe you know if cnn doesn't have the presence here and therefore i think doesn't have um as much of an interest in maintaining a balanced opinion and in maintaining decorum within Australia because no one's going to be affected. I mean, they might have one staff member here. Um, that then, well, it's their call. It doesn't make sense. Get out of here. If you're going to be here, staff it up and, you know, st step it up. You can't just make money out of a country or a people and not invest into that past just pushing the same news article just branded to a different nation's um url or facebook chat facebook page yeah very true um i don't blame them for leaving i think it makes sense i don't know <laughs> yeah i i would argue that there are too many news channels out out here well out there in general um for mm you know, in Australia for 25 million people. I mean, how many yeah. just, how many, you know, Australian media channels are there, let alone the Al Jazeera, CNN, BBCs of this world that also um, focus in Australia. Um, there's, it's fantastic to have differing opinions, but when those, when they all don't have the same buy-in into, into a nation or into a demographic, I think um, that then leads to to them doing questionable things because they don't have to face the repercussions. Um, from that sobering conversation, pun intended, <laughs> onto absolute vodka, they've refreshed their packaging. And there's two reasons I wanted to bring bring up and talk about vodka, uh, absolute vodka, refreshing things. Um, one is that I, I love that they've, um, and I'll share this for anyone watching on, um, YouTube or the, watching the video of the 
episode, um, they've simplified things down, but not changed things too much at the same time. Um, but the biggest thing for me is that they're Swedish. I did not know this. Really? There you go. I mean, they have made I... it more of a focus. They've got in the new um, packaging um, Swedish vodka and then down the bottom in the embossed part of the glass, country of Sweden. Whereas I think previously it's got Sweden mentioned in the right at the bottom. But I've never noticed it the, before. <laughs> in all the cursive writing, which I've never bothered to read, but is oh, an iconic yeah. <laughs> image to me. I've never bothered bothered to read that either. Um, I think with making the Swedish side of things more obvious, I think Absolute has been able to differentiate themselves. Um, the vodka market is absolutely like inundated. Um from a past life where I used to be around vodka a lot more. Um, there, there's a lot more uh, vodka brands out there than most people would even realize, but this allows them to, the mention of Swedish, um, for me, wrongly or rightly, um, Sw Swedish vodka sounds more premium than, you know, just vodka in general. Um, and that's been the biggest takeaway for, for me from this refresh. Um, what are your thoughts, though? I am a little bit in the middle at the moment. I think, I I don't know, the previous bottle is so iconic and I feel like it's just, you look at it and you know it's absolute without even really need to, needing to read because of just the big, bold text and that cursive that, as we said, we don't, never bother to read, but it's just, it's absolute. That's what you see. Um, and they've also gotten rid of the, so I think on the back of the bottle, they tend to do like a bit of a graphic and in that, image above you could see the a with a big a dot like a looks watermark like um yeah it looks like they've taken that away um and they tend to use that space as well previously for like really special edition bottles which have all these different graphics and colors and blah blah, blah. um so they've really paired that back quite a bit in the new one i think they've got like a little house or something at the back um if you scroll down a little bit i think i saw a little hint of it whatever that graphic mm -hmm. is. It looks Much like there's simple. some writing there that's illegible as well. Yeah, which maybe is the place where they manufacture it. Um, Here we go. One source, one. Okay, so this this is what used to be in cursive. Yes, okay, so they've simplified that. And I like it. I just wonder how they're going to do those special edition bottles and things in the same way, whether they'll continue doing that or whether they're really simplifying and focusing on that one new brand that they've got i do like can it. can i just mention this photography as well they've um i think they come across as very premium even more premium than i mean i i don't even know how much a bottle of absolute vodka would cost i haven't sort uh, of... it's one of the cheaper ones i was gonna say i didn't think it was i mean it's it's they call themselves premium vodka it's probably more expensive I think than every like a single, really cheap. Every bottle of vodka says that. <laughs> I'm going to do a search as we. Okay, so it's it's a liter costs sixty dollars, so it's not. Um, it's I not mean, the my... really premium stuff that's like eighty or ninety Australian. It's um, but it's also not the you know forty dollar bottle that you pick up. You don't really know what the that's brand is. Or you've never heard spirits. of it. And you'll <laughs> never see it again. But yeah. 
okay yeah so um something one one vodka that i like is belvedere um and so in comparison belvedere is 104 dollars for a one liter bottle versus 60 dollars for a one liter bottle of um absolute so um it is a it's not a you know it's a middle tier sort of product um but to me it comes across as quite a nice product and this photography certainly aids in that yeah i mean i think this new branding that they've got is really simplified and i think that it seems to be a bit of a trend where like the simpler it is the more premium it looks and the more info that's on there and the more colors and blah 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 the cheaper it can look um so it seems like maybe they are trying to make their product a little bit more premium or at least appear more premium without actually increasing price or anything well you never know maybe the price will increase exactly (laughs) yeah hopefully not i feel like it's just (laughs) such a staple like good choice you just know that it's not going to be super terrible obviously not the best but it's just right there in the middle it's a it's a decent mixer Mm -hmm. that's um wow 400 years of swedish tradition behind it um so again had to mention this one i think it's they've done a good job ultimately um simplifying things at the very least um and they haven't messed with the absolute vodka word mark and lock up um and really they've moved a few things around in the bottle but they've to me it's a it's a tasteful refresh versus um going going a bit too far with with things and they're also like looking through all the collateral um all the examples that they've shown us um it it wasn't as much of a jump as um was it moe that we talked about in shandon la a few few episodes ago um where you know shandon made a clear change in well not not a change but a clear step in a certain direction that Mm. uh absolute has um avoided going down I saw a bottle of Chandon in, in the wild the other day and I thought it, it did look quite nice. It was pretty fresh. So I they've guess. updated. Um, yeah. The, yeah. The new there. one with the um, map of the world thing that mm-hmm. we talked about. Um, yeah. It looked quite nice. I'll have to take a look next time. Um, moving on, Google updates. We talked about this. Well, I pointed it out to you yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, they're making a, a few different changes. This one's from this coverage is from TechCrunch, looking at um, the company Google is essentially providing, trying to provide more context around websites, descriptions, um, essentially just trying to do what they're always trying to do, which is be the best provider of answers um, for your search terms. Um, and this is manifested in a, in a number of different ways. So in this in this image here, um, you can you can see. I mean, if you do a Google search yourself, um, you can see the changes that um, essentially allow you to look into and look at the um, look at the source of information and more information around a website in particular. So if I was to search, say, future theory. And we go further down, and this is just the LinkedIn result. Um, it, it essentially creates a pop-up that shows you more information um, about 
the source, which is LinkedIn in this instance, um, tries to link link to uh, the Wikipedia feed. So it's sort of taking things that we've had in the past, like the the um, knowledge um, graph that we get on the right hand side, um, and putting it all in together so that you can see more information in um, one go. Um, in, in this example, we're looking at future3.com.au. Um, it was first indexed by Google more than 10 years ago. Um, connection to the site is secure. So essentially providing a lot more information that if you knew where to look, this information did already exist and you could find it, but they're making it even easier than before. Um, do you have any thoughts about uh, I was just kind here. of thinking, I wonder whether the average Joe will look into that. Um, I'm not sure how often I would myself go and click on those little dots and explore that information because it's sort of like I'll just click on the website. <laughs> I don't really know what information it gives me that's helpful to me. I think mm. what it's doing is trying to provide more information if you're looking for that information. Um, and make it easy to get that information. Because like I said, all that information we've been able to find in the past, um, but it's taken a bit of work, particularly around when that site was indexed. Um, the A quick way to get that doesn't come to come to mind. So um, this is making it just a lot, lot easier, um, I think. And ultimately, the, the only thing, you know, apart from not doing you know, not doing bad things that companies like this can do is provide us with the information so that we can at least make decisions ourselves rather than necessarily um, obscuring that information from us. So it's just a, it's a step in the right direction, I would say, or, or, mm. or at least a step in a better direction. Um, yeah, feels like more transparency, I suppose. It never hurts, never hurts. Um, On to something close to home. Nab and Tab launched the Jab campaign. <laughs> I wanted to say that. I had to say that. Um, <laughs> I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> you said you've um, you've seen Nab. So essentially, actually, very quickly, Nab and Tab, or NAB and TAB, a bank and a betting company, um, have replaced the first letters in their names to say jab and to promote getting the COVID-19 vaccine in Australia. Um, and we bank with NAB. So I've, I've been seeing jab um, a, a whole lot of times. So, you know, they're clearly having um, the intended effect. Um, and have you seen this out in the wild yourself, Kelsey? Yeah. So I watch... I'm a big footy fan. Love my footy. Um, and the other day footy we were watching AFL it. AFL for sorry, yes, Australian AFL. football. <laughs> <laughs> AFL fan. Um, and, yeah, I saw, so in the AFL, obviously, most sports, they've got the big um, banners that go around the ground um, as the barriers. And, yeah, they just had um, NAB, but obviously it was JAB in the NAB. I think it's red and um, serif font just their, their logo just circling through and that was it with the little star thing as well um not much more to it literally just jab in their in their logo um i thought it was really cool it really got me i mean i had a conversation with my partner about it at the time and we were just chatting about the brand and getting vaccinated and all that sort of stuff and it was started a conversation so i thought it was really effective 
the this question i mean i think through this every single time i see something like this um around are brands getting on this almost bandwagon for their own marketing benefit or is it out of the goodness of their heart um i don't i can't say i conclusively you know can point to one or the other um especially when you're talking about a bank and a betting company i think <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i think when it comes to this kind of topic it's just a classic csr move um and i think brands these days really understand that they need to do things for social good not only because it will impact you know their bottom line and everything but just because it's the right thing to do and i think that you know, the employees care about it for one and all of their customers care about it. And it's just doing the right thing by those people, which also does have an impact, obviously, on their bottom line. It's sort of a win-win, you know, it's it might be coming from a selfish kind of place a little bit, but if it's doing good, is that the worst thing? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, exactly. They, they, they could be doing a lot more selfish, well, they do a lot more selfish things that are a lot worse um, than, you know, um, beneficial so this is um, not bad at all uh, for those who don't know the acronym what does CSR stand for oh, sorry uh, corporate social responsibility it's basically just all of the activities that a company will do that's sort of beyond their standard business operating so whether it is those like charitable acts or letting your employees take a day off to volunteer somewhere all of those sort of things that aren't as direct directly impacting the company but are good for the world i guess so just being a responsible company how, exactly how companies can be more responsible in the same way that i think all individuals should be as well um so this is certainly a, a good csr um initiative and push um yeah it, it, even though um especially tab um could be argued as to what their ultimate um goal is but yeah um we can leave it at that for now <laughs> <laughs> and the last one to finish off is um i came across this um youtube channel called logo design theory have you heard of the book by the same name before kelsey oh maybe that sounds a little bit familiar when you sort of put it in the context of books but i'm gonna just confidently say no though for now <laughs> Yes, it's a it's a um fairly established book by an established um individual and essentially it goes into how how branding design really works is is um how they how it's positioned. Um it's been around for a number of years as well. And uh what what the um I forget the name of the guy behind it, I believe. No, I still can't find it, but um, we'll have the link to the YouTube channel below. I've watched a couple of the videos um, out of interest and um, essentially what's been done is that the book has been translated into short, you know, 5, 10, 15 minute videos. And um, at this stage, looking through, um, it's not getting anywhere near the recognition that I think it potentially should but then again it's getting you know anywhere from they're getting anywhere from like 10 to 80 views per video um i think it's fair to say that you know we we have similar type of content and uh it's not necessarily the kind of content that gets a lot of views 
Um, so it's not surprising that even someone who's a lot more established um, isn't getting a lot of views. But really good information for anyone who's either in the design world, the graphic design world, um, logo design world, um, or if you've got a brand and if you if you are a CEO or have a startup and you have to think about these things, but don't necessarily have the budget to go to an agency. Um, this is free. Uh, I believe it's actually ad free as well. So you don't even have to deal with YouTube ads. So it's not monetized. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to mention it because there's some really great, great tips here. Um, a lot of content, but uh, yeah, th th this is accruing years, if not decades of, of, knowledge from from this individual and um you'll have to put up with a bit of old school i guess old schoolness <laughs> is the <laughs> is the best way i can i can um term it let me see if i can share a very quick and i hope um i really wish i would find here we go just going to find this guy's name. A. Michael Shoemate is might be the worst pronunciation of that name. I'm just I've just found his paperback. Um, but let me do a quick share of the video to finish off this episode, just to show you what I mean by slightly old school. Okay, is that audio coming through? Uh, I didn't hear anything then. No. No audio? No, I don't think so, but I can okay. already sort of see what you mean by old school. Yeah, no no audio, but you can see what I mean. Um, I'm just scrubbing through. Um, it's, it's a calm, older gentleman talking through. Um, it's, it's, in fact, to the extent that it's a bit confusing to me as to whether this video was done <laughs> oh, recently no. or not um because I mean, the, the yeah background type makes it things yeah exactly the background's old school but the type makes it look newer well have any of these uh logos been redone recently oh good question don't none think that, so none that come to mind mm, these all look like recent versions of the logos yeah um if i'm to be honest but um yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. This is this is probably the best example. So, but what I would say is that a lot of the principles being discussed are timeless. Um a lot of the the principles still st stand true and hold true today because at the end of the day, I think good design is timeless and good design is forever. Um so I wanted to bring this up and mention it to you um all with as always have all these links in the uh, description, um, but a fantastic YouTube channel to check out, fantastic resource. Um, and I'll be sharing this channel shortly into the Future Tribe Facebook group as well. Um, again, link for that down in the description. That's it, unless I've forgotten anything else, Kelsey? No, I think that's everything. That is okay. everything. Fantastic. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. I think it's time to roll the outro. Catch Sounds you all good. later. Catch ya.